in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, oh, oh, a couple weeks ago now. It's been, uh, been a while since we were uh, last gathered together here in Romans cha- Revelation chapter 14. If you would, turn there. And uh, we'll begin reading tonight, verses 5, 6, and 7. And uh, Lord willing, we, we probably won't finish it up, but because, uh, again, I want to be mindful of our time this evening and <clears throat> making sure that uh, all is well when we leave. So let's read there together. Look at verse number 5, again, keeping in context, that God is indeed here giving us some characteristics of these 144,000. We looked at verse 4 a couple of weeks ago, verse 5, the Bible says, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God, a very important biblical principle there. Verse number 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Amen. That's a fulfilling of the gospel mandate, by the way. That text tells us that, that that is a fulfilling of that. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, one, and give glory to Him, two, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship, three, Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, brethren, again, as we are gathered together in our text this evening, taking a look, just kind of finishing up this glorious description that God uh, has given John to reveal to us concerning this 144,000. He's given these glorious characteristics of men or people who have been saved by the gospel. Amen. The only way you can have these characteristics, the only way that you can stand before the throne of God is by the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. Amen. I know we say that all the time. We preach that all the time. But again, it is here. It is threaded all through the pages of Scripture. And we're going to look at that for just a moment this evening. So again, we looked last week at the mouth and uh, how the mouth is, is, or two weeks ago, how the mouth is that, if you will, it is that part of the body that tells you many times what's in your heart. Amen. And over and over again. And so here John tells us there's no there's no guile found in their in their mouths. And then he continues on here as we look in our text. He says, not only is there no guile, no deceit found in their mouths. uh, He also says here, brethren, that also look there, if you would. uh, Verse number five, it says there and in their mouth was found no guile for they are without fault before the throne of God. That's really characteristic. Number five of John as he's describing these. 144,000 here in our text. In fact, I like what one pastor said here. He said, the phrase without fault before the throne of God is seen in terms of a heavenly scale of perfection. And again, this is one thing that we must always remember. When one stands before God faultless, (laughs) brothers, we got all kinds of faults, amen? But when one stands before God faultless, like these men are being characterized and being spoken of here in our text, Amen. (laughs) He says, the pastor said, on one end of the scale is fault, on the other end is God, and in between the two is the central mechanism, which of course is what? The cross of Christ. It always comes back to the cross of Christ. That's why these men can be described as such men who were standing before the throne of God faultless, unblameable. In fact, I like that terminology uh, as well. The Bible used that. I want to just look at a couple of them. Look at Colossians chapter 1. They are without fault. It means that they are unblameable. It means that they are faultless. And again, brothers, the only way that one can stand a sinner 
and we're all sinners, I think, still, amen, I think we still believe that, unless you, <laughs> what, yeah, I think we all still believe that, amen, that we are sinners saved by grace, and it is because of the work of Christ that we can indeed stand faultless before God, before the throne of God, and again, a bit, a biblical truth that is woven, as you all know, as a dispensationalist. And I am a dispensationalist, a leaky one at that. But you see that all the way through. And also, every covenant, every dispensation, that glorious gospel is weeded and needled right through every page of it. And we know that. Look at Colossians chapter 1 there. Let's just take a look here again. Unblameable. This is the idea. Faultless. Without fault. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, look at verse number 20. Galatians, Ephesians, I've got to get my own, get to my own Colossians here. Colossians chapter 1. I wish there was a way, brethren, that, you know, with the sound system and all that, so that I could just say, Brother Howard, can you read that? Brother Jeaner, can you read that? And then everybody could hear it. We've got to figure out a way to do that, because I like having that interaction. But look at there, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse number 20. Look what the Bible says there. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in the heaven. So he's covering every angle. Look at verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Amen. Look at this. I mean, it's an amazing thing. He calls us enemies again. We were enemies of God, brethren. And here comes the gospel. Look there at verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. What's that next word? Unblameable, brethren. That is a glorious thing when, because you realize that we have an enemy that's trying to blame us. Amen? Constantly. He's constantly pointing at what you did today. He's constantly thinking about what you thought today. Look what your saint did today. And we are unblameable. This is the idea here. This is what John is saying. These who are standing before the throne of God are unblameable. They are indeed faultless. Again, I like how that pastor phrased it one end of the scale is fault the other is god and in between is the cross of christ that is the ultimate scale <laughs> you know we live in a society that's very scale orientated don't we very religious but it's not in the scale biblically it's always what brothers you can say it my good deeds outweigh my what my bad deeds this is the scale no the scale is the cross the cross of christ between fault and between a holy god amen this is what John is saying. We are unblameable. Look at one more. Look at Jude. Jude uses the same term that, that, J, that uh, John uses. He uses the term faultless. Look at Jude 24. Jude 24, verse number 24. I always want to say the chapter, but look at, look at verse 24. Jude 24 and 25. Listen to this glorious music to the ears of a saved one one who understands the gospel. Look at verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Isaac and, and you guys that lead the music, Emma, these, that's why I love that, that song. Who, who's going to keep us? Amen. He will keep you. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you. Look what it says here. Amen. From falling. And present you what? Faultless before, brethren, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There it is. That's the idea. This is the terminology John's using here. These men, or these 144,000, now you can say literally, you can say it's a number, but whoever it is, they are all standing before God faultless, unblameable because of the cross of Christ. And you realize what dispensation we're in. Again, as a dispensationalist, you have to realize that. 
the time of trouble, the tribulation that we're in. And brethren, listen, he lays this groundwork and then he gives us the foundation in verses 6 and 7. He speaks of these, these, uh, these holy preachers as these kind of men. Here's the five characteristics that they have. They're characteristics of someone who is faultless, who's been saved, and this is why. Look at verses 6 and 7. Chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Look there, if you would. <laughs> and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the, the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, now, brothers, don't be fooled, because verse 7 is not a different gospel. It's an amazing thing, the number of people who have tried to say that this is a different gospel. Brethren, listen to me. The gospel never changes. The true gospel never changes. And this is what he's saying. Those who are faultless is because the angel is preaching the everlasting gospel, which makes us faultless, which makes us blameless. Amen. Look at what it says. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. That the Bible says, amen, made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of the waters. Now, brethren, this is a most interesting turning point here in the book of Revelation. We have indeed reached the fourth and God's final supernatural warning to those who are upon the earth. This thing is escalating. We are moving along now. This is God's fourth and final warning to those who are uh, currently proceeding upon the earth. He precedes his warning of judgment, which is coming, because there's two other angels that show up here in our text. In verse 8 and in verse 9, we're not there. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get there. This angel's preaching the gospel. You want to know what the next angel's preaching? He's preaching the wrath of God. It's an amazing thing. The two, again, the two contrasts that we see. This angel's preaching the gospel to them who are upon the earth. And, uh, and, and by preaching it to every nation, as I said, every kindred, every tongue, every people, before, and it, it is, it's a gospel mandate, brethren, before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is exactly what's setting it up. It's setting up the kingdom. It's setting up when he's coming. It's preparing all of these things, if you will, to every tongue, every nation. This gospel is being preached. Now, brethren, let me ask you a question tonight. Has God ever, in any time, has God ever left those who are dwelling upon the earth? This happens particularly to be the final week uh, of his wrath without recourse. Has God ever, has God ever left men upon the earth without any kind of recourse, ever? No, he has not. It's the same here. He's preaching the gospel, which saves. That's the recourse. The recourse is the gospel. The judgment preaching is coming. But think about this for a moment. I want us to turn there again, a very, again, just to show you that God has never, ever left men without recourse, ever. Did God leave the people in Noah's day without recourse? No, he did not. How long did he preach, brother? 120 years. He did not leave them without recourse. Not once. Never. It didn't. Even Sodom and Gomorrah, brother, they were not left without recourse. God has never done that, and he's not doing it here. He's doing the same thing. He's preaching the gospel by his supernatural preacher who's preaching to every kindred, every tongue, every nation. There is recourse with 
God himself. Look here, if you would, Genesis chapter 6. Let's just look there just to allow to hear the words of God speak to us tonight. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Again, God did not leave anybody, even in this era, without recourse. Genesis chapter 6. What does that show us? It shows God's mercy. It shows his, 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 his if you will, his long-suffering. Howard said it, 120 years. That's a long time for a man to preach and a family to preach, to build an ark. And they're all looking at him like he's crazier than he looks. And yet, what it, come on, get on the ark. It's going to rain. Yeah, right. Look at Genesis 6 there. Look at verse number 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also his flesh, yet his days shall be a what? In 120 years. There it is. There, are, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and Howard and I just talked about this Friday, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Look at verse 5. And God saw, brethren, that's, a, that's an all-penetrating statement. <laughs> and God saw. God sees everything, even the things of our own hidden closet. He saw what went on last night in Las Vegas. He saw what went on last night in your home. He saw it. He sees everything. God saw it. Look at here. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so again, here we again see God allowing 120 years to pass, the patience of God, the preaching of Noah. Anybody remember what he's known for in the New Testament? What's Noah? What, what's one of his titles in the New Testament. He's a preacher of what? Righteousness. Amen? He is a preacher of righteousness. That's what the Bible calls him. For 120 years, he was preaching righteousness. He was preaching the righteousness of God to those whom God has not ever, ever left without recourse. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, look there if you would. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse number 7. Again, this fear thing, and this comes into play here in just a little bit in our text, because, you know, again, when people say, well, this is a different gospel, it doesn't sound like the same gospel, it's a different gospel, it's not the gospel, it's the same gospel, because, well, we'll get there. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, look there, the, weird, the word fear is used here, and again, as we prayed earlier all together, right, we need a healthy fear of God. The healthy fear of God brings all kinds of manner to us, all kinds of good things. It prevents us from doing certain things. It causes us to repent. It does all manner of things. And this here, we find it again here in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse number 7. Look at what the Bible says there. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Anybody know the things that weren't seen yet? <laughs> Look at, look at the author of Hebrews giving us insight into the great faith of Noah. Hey, Noah, you know what they'd never seen before? One of the things is what? Rain. It had never rained before. And yet Noah, in fear, believing in faith, what God said is going to happen, even though he's never seen it, he moved here. Look what the Bible says. Look at here. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen. That would be rain. There's some other things in there as well we could go into. I, I don't have time to do that. But look at here. Moved with what? Fear. 
preparing an ark to the saving of his house, listen, by which he what? Condemned. Do you see that there? 120 years, God's mercy. The preacher of righteousness is preaching God's righteousness for 120 years. He's building the ark, and all men could do was reject that message. And what did he do? He condemned. Look what it says there. By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so again, even in Noah's time, even in Lot's time, even, brethren, in David's time. You think of all down through the dispensations and the eras of time that men have lived, and not one time have men ever been left without recourse, neither during the Great Tribulation, neither what's taking place here. God is still being merciful and showing his mercy even while his wrath is about to be poured out. As I was sitting here thinking about this, I I wrote this down. My brain isn't very big. Weird things come into it sometimes. But the eternal gospel is indeed the crimson thread woven from Genesis to Revelation. It needles its way. It needles its way, brethren, through the fabric of every age, every dispensation, and every covenant. From Adam to Noah, listen, brother, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to David, amen, to the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, think of that, to you and to me and to everyone who will believe is the gospel alone, your saving grace. This is what John is saying. This eternal gospel, brethren, that's preached is the same gospel that saved Noah, the same one that was preached to Abraham, It's the same one David believed in. It's all the same thread, as I said, needling its way through. Now, look quickly at verse number 7 there. We'll we'll try and get this uh, kind of, well, stitched all up, shall we say that tonight? Amen. Look at verse number 7. Verse 6, the angels flying in the midst of heaven, all this glorious stuff taking place. Verse number 7 saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. Again, brother, verse 7, let me say this again. Let me just, for emphasis sake, because as we get into verse number 8, Lord willing, next week, some things are repeated, amen? Things get repeated. So I'm going to repeat it again here this evening, what I said earlier. Verse 8, by the way, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. That is a glorious statement. And it's not just made here. It's made in Isaiah, and it's made in another place in the book of Revelation, guaranteeing that it's going to happen. That's what that means. But just by way of repetitiveness, as we said earlier, it is imperative for us to understand that verse 7 summarizes the response to those who respond to the gospel that was preached in verse number 6 by faith. This is the response of those who heard the gospel preached, some of them, some of them, not all of them, but some of them. This is what it is. There are many who try to construe the words in verse number 7 as being, as I said earlier, a different gospel, a gospel that sounds different. In fact, listen, one 17th century commentator wrote this about verse number 7. Again, this is why, brother, when you fling yourself open and don't stay within Scripture, you can say stuff like this. I mean, it's insane. 
Listen to what he wrote. This is held, verse numbers, this is held to be John Wycliffe. <laughs> See, they're, what do they call that? They're not exegeting, they're eisegeting. So in other words, this angel here is John Wycliffe. <laughs> this, this is what he said. Who wrote more than 200 volumes against the Pope, as was a means of much good to many. Well, yes, that was a means of good to many, but it isn't John Wycliffe the angel who's preaching the eternal gospel. It is not him. It's, it's amazing, brethren. But this is what happens when you flip yourself outside of Holy Scripture and allow yourself to figure out what you think it is. It's an amazing thing. These are not the words of a different gospel. The effectual work, the effectuous work of the true gospel never changes. We've seen that. Now let me just give you a couple of terms. We don't have time to look at the verses but I'll give them to you if you're writing, taking notes. In Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, Jesus calls it the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel hasn't changed. It's still the gospel of the kingdom. You get into the kingdom by the, through the gospel. That's what it was. Amen? Acts chapter 20, verse number 4, it's called the gospel of the grace of God. It's the gospel. It's the same. In Romans 1, 1 through 5 and verse 9, it is the gospel of God and the gospel of his son. That's exactly what the Bible calls it. It isn't changed. The words aren't changed. The meaning doesn't change. In Galatians chapter 2, the gospel was preached to Abraham. We touched on that. In Ephesians chapter 1, 12 and 13, it is called the gospel of your salvation. And so we see this terminology being used throughout Scripture to speak of the same gospel. It hasn't changed. In fact, as we close tonight, as we finish, the words in our text in verse 7 summarize again how one responds to the true gospel. I want you to look again. Verse number 7. Fear God. That's number one. That's a response to someone who believes by faith the gospel. It brings fear, the fear of God to you. The second thing you'll notice there in verse number 7 is this, that they give him glory. That they fear God and then they give him glory. And then what's the third thing they do in that text, in that verse? They what? They worship him. So you got the fear of God. It's an amazing thing. You give him glory and you worship him. And you know what's interesting, brethren? If you look closely, which we're going to, we're going to close with this. Those who actually hear this supernatural preacher preaching the eternal gospel, those who actually hear it and those who respond to it in faith is an amazing thing, are those who are found in the very opening verses of chapter 15, doing what this just said that those who respond to the gospel will do. Look there. We'll close with this tonight. Look ahead. Just look at chapter 15. And pay careful attention. Those who actually respond to the gospel in faith are actually doing those three things. Look at verse 1. The Bible says there, And I saw another, another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels standing with seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Whew, we'll be hanging on to that one when we get there. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. Who, who's doing that? Who's getting the victory over the image, and the mark, and the number of his name? Well, the elect of God, those who have been saved through the gospel. That's who's doing it. True faithful, saved men and women and children, those to whom God has saved. Look at verse 3. And they sang the, the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. 
Just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. Now verse 4 draws our attention. Look at the three that are mentioned in verse 7 are now mentioned here. Those who are saved, those who are not taking the mark, those who are not taking the number of his name, look what they're doing. Verse 4. Who shall not fear thee? There it is. Who shall not fear thee? Look at the second thing. And glorify thy name. There it is again. The fear of the Lord, glorifying his name. And what are they doing? What's the third thing they're doing? Look there. For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and what? Worship before thee. There it is. There we have those whom the eternal gospel has been preached to. They are indeed fearing God. They are indeed giving him glory. And they are indeed worshiping him. This is the response to the gospel in verse 6 and 7. This is not another gospel. This is the response to that gospel that was preached. The gospel never changes. So, let me close with just a practical point. Let me say it again. God has never left anyone without recourse. He never has. When our religious affections are indeed drawn to a biblical truth, one that I said earlier, this is the only place in all of the New Testament where an angel was preaching the gospel. The only place. Nowhere else. doesn't happen. In God's glorious wisdom and his providential hand, he has chosen to give that responsibility to his people, to those of us who have been saved by that gospel. Every other single time. It's a stunning thing, brethren. As I said, apart from the rarest exceptions, which we see here, which is one time. Therefore, brethren, as we close, it behooves us for us to be faithful in preaching that gospel that does not change. Kind of like what went on with you guys this weekend. Kind of like what goes on in your home and your family, I know. Kind of like what's going on with Crystal. You guys have never deviated from the gospel. You've never preached some other gospel to them. It's the same one. And it's the same one that will save them. Amen? They will indeed fear God. They will indeed, if they get saved, glorify God. And they will indeed, what? Worship God. The God of Holy Scripture. It is an amazing, stunning thing, isn't it? How nothing changes. It's all the same. Whether it's Noah, whether it's Adam, whether it's David, whether it's me, or whether it's you, or whether it's them here that we find in the Great Tribulation. They are saved by that glorious thread of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who indeed makes them what? Blameless, faultless, to stand before the throne of God. Amen? All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray together this evening. Father, we again thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is, you know, there's no speculation that needs to take place here. Again, you know, oh, I looked at so many examples of who men thought verse 6 and 7 was, but Wycliffe was, was just a choice one. Wycliffe clearly did preach some things and say some things that were very helpful against the Pope and against the Catholic Church, no question about that. But that's not who that is there. Nor is it anybody else. It was indeed God's and is God's supernatural preacher. 
an angel whom he sends forth to preach the eternal gospel to all those who are upon the earth during this time. And we see gloriously that there are some who will indeed, by faith, respond to that gospel. But as we get into verse 8, we're going to see that a whole lot more, amen, rejected the gospel because the angel that comes now does not preach the gospel, but rather the horrifying judgment of God, which indicates to us that not very many responded to that gospel. And so, Father, we thank you that it is all in your sovereign hand. You have given us the great means, the preaching of your gospel, to bring about your ends. And there was some elect, some elect, lost elect that were there that heard the gospel and responded. And they did indeed fear you. They did indeed glorify you. And they did indeed worship you. They rejected the, the Antichrist. They rejected the beast, his mark, his number, his name, all of it. Not in their own goodness, but because of what the gospel had done to them. So, Father, we pray, even for ourselves during this time, we live in such a wicked time, really unprecedented, at least in our lifetimes, for sure. That it's amazing to watch people literally stick a noose around their own necks. And then just slowly but surely tighten it by themselves. By allowing tyrants to do what they do. Giving up their freedoms and turning away from Christ. It's just amazing. And it won't be long and that thing's going to be cinched up tight. And they're going to hang themselves right from their own gallows. It, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch and behold. So Father, we as Christians tonight pray again that you would send a great revival to our land. Awaken this slumbering giant. Oh, Father, we pray. And again, Lord, as we close, we think of all those who we pray for tonight. And Father, again, we lift them all up to you, as Paul did. He commended the brethren, and we commend these to God and to his word. So, Father, we again thank you for the privilege to pray. And we ask and we do pray all these things in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen, amen.